you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why don't we pray together? Father, thank you for this time that we have now uh, to jump in your word. And I do pray, Lord, that you would speak to us personally and powerfully. And we do ask, Lord God, that uh, everything we say and do would be lived for your glory. So be at work now, we pray, uh, to honor you and to lift up your name. And it is in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice, amen, amen. How are we doing, City on a Hill? We're we're moderate. We're moderate. It's good to see you on this crisp uh, winter Melbourne day. Uh, If you are new or visiting, my name is Guy. If you're joining us online, great that you could be with us. Hey, big shout out of thanks. To everybody who heard the, 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 the word last week and responded uh, with Christ-like generosity. Uh, if you happen to miss it, we heard a cracker of a preach from uh, our own uh, Andy Judd, who was uh, expounding for us 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, and the call for us all to be cheerful givers. 
Uh, the Bible calls us to excel in 1 Corinthians 9, to excel in the grace of giving and to be cheerful givers. And as part of that message, uh, Andy uh, took some time to look at, I suppose, our, our financial position as a church, uh, a little bit of a moment to consider where do we use our resources uh, and to give an update on how we're tracking month to month. As a church, we're, we're faith-based, faith-led, and so we really exist in our mission from month to month based on the generosity of God's people. And as we kind of looked at that, uh, we, we, we identified that we're actually tracking a little bit behind on, on where we would like to be uh, as a community. We're very much committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And Yet where we are, uh, we're just falling a little bit behind and we'd love to turn a corner uh, and take action and kind of share that together as God's people. So uh, there was there a call for, for some of us who are perhaps not yet giving to commence uh, your generosity, commence your regular giving here at City on a Hill. That's every dollar. Really, really important to help us know Jesus and make Jesus known. And so if you haven't started your giving, let me just add a word of encouragement uh, to take up that challenge, uh, to prayerfully consider what you could give uh, to support support the work and the ministry here. Uh, and, and for those who are already giving, uh, there was also an opportunity for us to reflect and for us to pray and to see whether we might be able to increase our living uh, level of giving and, and support the many valuable ministries um, you know, when we think about running Alpha and we think about our gospel communities, when we think about ministry to, to kids and our discipleship programs and our services coming together and our preaching of the word, which we do here, and all of these things are reliant upon the generosity of God's people. So really appreciate you taking time to consider that and more importantly, to action that. And I know you'd have questions, so I do encourage you to go to cityonhill.com.au forward slash give. You'll find our budget there. You'll see a whole host of things there to help you look at where we give our money. Uh, you can ask questions there and of course you can give. So I uh, just wanted to give a word of encouragement towards that. Does that sound good? Good. Can we do this together? Absolutely. In God's strength we can. All right. If you have a Bible handy, uh, why don't you go and grab it and come with me to 1 Corinthians 9 uh, as, no, chapter 10. Sorry, 2 Corinthians. It's a good start today. Are the lights flickering or is that just me? Am I about to pass out? It's on its way out. Oh, even better. I better hurry up. That's a, like, let's get this going. All right. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Hopefully we have light for most of the service. Uh, let's jump in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, to set the stage, by show of hands, come on, who has ever, oh, there we go. We lost one light. Just one. Good, we're doing well. See, the, the funds are really tight. <laughs> They're really tight. I'm not joking. All right. So by show of hands, who has ever, uh, who's ever found themselves kind of in the, the crosshairs of criticism in their life? Who, who has ever had a complaint made against them? Raise your hands. Right. Now, keep your hands raised if you enjoyed that experience. <laughs> No, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, what we discover in 2 Corinthians is here is Paul uh, writing to a church, well, that he helped plant in the city of Corinth. And what we've seen throughout this series is he's, he's faced lots of issues and, and challenge and, and division and also a host of various complaints and allegations that are squared against him. And what we see in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is Paul is now going to meet some of those allegations head on. 
He's going to kind of name what some of those criticisms have been, and then he's going to articulate, he's going to defend uh, what he believes is right and what he believes is true. And so in one level, it kind of feels like an internal manner that we're looking at in this text. But if you kind of zoom out for a bit, it's, it's really quite helpful in articulating for us all what healthy gospel ministry is all about. In in Paul's defense, he gives us something of a blueprint which tells us what it actually means to be God's people. He's going to show us uh, what it it actually looks like to be a city on a hill. So I want to kind of draw from this text, and there's a lot of things that we could look at. I want to draw from this text three insights to to perhaps help us all uh, be the church that God has called us to be. So three things that we're going to see. We're going to see that we want to be a bold church, an empowered church, and, and thirdly, a boastful church. Bold, empowered, and a boastful church for those who are taking notes. So first, let's begin uh, with a bold church, the call to be a bold church. So check this out, verse 1. Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So one of the criticisms that was squared against the Apostle Paul was that he had two personas, two personalities, if you like. Uh, There was Paul the bold, the strong, the assertive, and then there was Paul the coward. And uh, people were saying that when Paul was, from a safe, was at a safe distance from Corinth, he was very bold, very assertive, had no issue leaning into his authority. He was very powerful behind the keyboard. But when he went to Corinth, when he was there in person, they found him to be a weak man who lacked authority and strength. At least that's what his critics were saying. And so how does Paul respond? Well, if you look closely at this text, you'll see that in verse 2, he assures the church in Corinth that when he next comes to the city, he is fully prepared to confront his opponents. He is fully prepared to confront his opponents. He would prefer not to play that card. He'd prefer that there was repentance and reconciliation, but if not, if his opponents continue to slander him, if they continue to draw people away from the truth and cause division, he is prepared to act decisively and boldly. He's prepared to face his opponents head on. And and that's worth noting. Because sometimes churches can kind of give off the vibe that Christians have to always be cuddly and nice, right? We just have to be these doormats that people can walk over and Christianity is this cuddly, nice thing. And, and maybe you grew up with images of Jesus who was always you know, well-mannered, inoffensive, uh, some of us grew up with, you know, those images of Jesus, the soft Jesus, porcelain white skin, uh, you know, golden, you know, blonde hair that looked like he could be advertising for a conditioner commercial or something like that, right? It's this very soft image of Jesus. And yet the question is, is that the Jesus that we always encounter in the Gospels? 
the, the, the money exchanges in the temple, what was their experience of Jesus when he walked on in, made a whip and started flipping tables? There we see a bold Jesus who was perfectly willing, able, eager to drive out sin and to drive out authority. What does that mean for us? Well, if you are a Christian, then like Paul, like Jesus, there are times, listen, where you need to be bold. There are times in your life where you will need to face difficulty and conflict head on. Yes, we are all called to turn the other cheek. Yes, we are all called to forgive. But that doesn't mean you should tolerate evil and sin. The call to forgive is not a call to be a doormat in life. Whether we're talking about a relationship where you are pushed around, a relationship that's toxic, uh, where there's sin in the relationship, whether we're talking about deceit and constant division among members in the church, whether we're talking about patterns of sin in a family or friendship, whether we're talking about your own sin and your own habits of disobedience, we who are empowered by the Spirit must deal with it head on. We don't say, as most Aussies like to say, she'll be right. We don't pretend like it'll be fine and just hope that it'll magically change. No, we stare down sin with the authority of Christ and say, that's not okay, I won't allow this. But please note, while Paul is willing to crack the whip, uh, at the same time, that is not the desire, his hope when it comes to this church in Corinth. He doesn't want to deal with them in that way. And you might have seen that in the opening sentence. If you look again, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity and love that our church, we get lots of people just checking out Jesus and exploring Jesus. It's helpful to know that this gentleness and humility that Christians will talk about, uh, it's a Christian virtue that is anchored in the very teaching and way of Christ himself. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus never said, blessed are the arrogant, for they shall inherit the kingdom. Jesus never said, blessed are those who are outraged and easily offended. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. So what's the point when you're piecing this together? The point is that a Christian isn't to run from confrontation like a coward, but at the same time, you can't strut through life with all guns blazing. When it comes to life, when it comes to your relationship in the church, in family, in your workplace, you need to be strong, but you also need to be sensitive. You must be bold in life, but you can't be the bully. I remember listening to an um, interview 
with the former heavyweight champion, Mike Tyson. I think it was on Joe Rogan, right? And uh, Mike Tyson, incredibly in- impressive, uh, you know, sporting athlete and really with a remarkable uh, life story. And, you know, he's talking about how he's a street kid. I think he'd been arrested 38 times by the time he was 13 and just this really difficult upbringing. He was kind of recruited and by this amazing trainer, uh, Cus D'Amato, took him under his wings and, and trained him. You know, saw in him he was going to be a fighter and just trained him and gave this really strict uh, discipline of training, strict diet, even put him through hypnotherapy to kind of train his mind to be this ferocious animal, this savage fighter. And so it was interesting listening to Mike Tyson kind of looking back how his whole identity how he was trained to be this ferocious animal, this, this savage fighter. And then he, he says, you know, he taught me everything. But the one thing he didn't teach me was how to turn that switch off. He never taught me how to turn that switch off. What does that mean? It means that outside of the ring, he was still a fighter. In every other relationship, he was trying to win, to defeat, to destroy, to beat. Um, listen, Jesus, incredibly tough but remarkably tender, infinitely powerful, but always power under control. I love this quote by Peterson who says, a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has that under voluntary control. So listen, there are, in time, uh, there are times in your life where you must be prepared to enter the ring. There are times in your life, you know, particularly when it's facing your own sin, <laughs> where you've got to enter that ring and fight. You've got to go to war. But you are at your strongest, most dangerous when that boldness is under control and exists within that posture of humility. This leads to the second call. We want to be an empowered church. So I love this text, and we could spend a lot of time here, but verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raids against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So another accusation that was squared uh, against the Apostle Paul had to do with his strength, the strength of his leadership, the strength of his ministry. People criticized his, his, his leadership, calling him weak and unimpressive. Paul, yeah, you know that guy? He's weak and he's unimpressive. Uh, in fact, in verse 10, uh, and this happens a, th- a few times throughout this chapter, he's quoting his accusers, right? And his accusers, what were they saying? His bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account, right? That's what people were saying about the apostle Paul. His presence is weak. Have you seen the guy? He's weak. Have you heard him preach? Yeah, his speech is of no account to the apostle Paul. Now, this is really interesting because the Greeks idolized what? Intelligence, philosophy, artistic speech, those who had eloquent words. 
The Greeks loved that. Rome, on the other hand, what did they value? Military muscle, might, dominance, being the big guy. Paul fails on both accounts. He is neither physically impressive, nor does he woo a crowd with his words. By the world's account, he's underwhelming. So what does he do with that? Verse 3 and 5 gives us the answer. According to Paul, his ministry, and let's be honest, our ministry is not one of physical strength or human ability. Rather, it is a battle that is fought and won in the spiritual. Right? Your battle is not a physical battle. Your battle is fought and won in the spiritual, which is why he doubles down and says, look at it again, verse 3, guys, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what does Paul mean when he talks about these strongholds? Well, anyone reading this, and I'm sure you can imagine in the ancient world, uh, strongholds referred to those, what, fortified cities, those towering walls that served as a defense times of war and times of battle. Think back to our series in, in, in Joshua, the wall of Jericho, towering fortress to keep people out. What is Paul doing? He is taking this physical reality, the physical stronghold, and he's applying it to the spiritual. He is pointing out to you uh, that in Christian ministry, we who are seeking to shine the light of Christ enter territory where people have their walls up. When it comes to ministry, you're going to face spiritual walls. When it comes to ministry and mission in our age, you're going to face people who have strongholds guarding their hearts and their minds from the truth. Now, these strongholds could come in the form of deeply ingrained beliefs, uh, thought patterns, behaviors, right? But they stand in opposition to God. This could be the walls of idolatry. This could be a wall of uh, sinful habits, destructive thoughts. This could be the wall of spiritual oppression, right? But the goal is to kind of keep the light of God out and, and to guard and, and, and to protect. And I'm sure some of you experience it. I'm sure you experience this every week. If you're serious about your faith and eager to share your faith with other people, you're going to face walls, right? Uh, most Aussies we know are very personable, happy to chat about anything, talk about the cricket, talk about sport, talk about Netflix. People have love to chat that. The moment you start talking about God, what happens? For a lot of people, the walls come up. Right, The walls go up, just as the walls of Jericho prevented Joshua from entering the fullness of the promise. Listen, the spirit of this age is working overtime to keep people from seeing and encountering the truth. What does that mean for us at City on a Hill? It means that when it comes to this church, when it comes to our ministry and mission, worldly tactics... And human strategy will not do. 
when it comes to what we are seeking to do in this world, worldly tactics, human strategy will not do. We need what the Apostle Paul calls for us, which is this weaponry of divine power. Weaponry of divine power. What are the weapons that God has entrusted to you and me? Well, consider the mighty spiritual weapon of prayer. The mighty spiritual weapon of prayer. I love the battle scene in um, Exodus 17. Israel's at war with the Amalekites and Moses is their leader. And where do we find Moses? In the heat of the battle? No, we actually find him on a hillside in prayer. He is interceding for God's people as they go to war. As they go to battle, he is doing, he's praying. And what we discover is that when his arms are raised up in prayer, Israel rise up in their strength. They rise up in their morale. They rise up in their victory and they push back their opponents. But when he gets tired and his arms fall, the Amalekites overrun. And so seeing this, Aaron and her come to help Moses and literally stand by his sides, holding up his arms. Why? Because they knew the power of prayer. They knew that when it comes to the big battles in life, God is the one who fights with us and God is the one who fights for us. The battle belongs to him. And so they pray and so Paul prays and so we pray. When it comes to the big things that you are wanting to see, the breakthroughs that you are wanting to see, the walls that you're wanting to see come down in the lives of people you care about and I know you care about them. We pray. I, I love the passion, the growing passion of prayer in this church. Um, Graham and Alice and, 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 and others uh, working with men and women in this church to lift that spiritual temperature, to help us go to war. Uh, do you know that before every morning service, there's always a, a trickle of people, um, Sue and Richard and Celine, who just kind of casually, quietly kind of move on in and, and just start praying in preparation for the service to bring down those walls. You know, I was talking with Alice this week, who's, who's doing great work in thinking about prayer at this church. And she was, you know, just sharing about uh, how there's a growing prayer team in this church, an engine room of people praying, interceding for you, interceding for our church, helping us move forward, helping us bring down those walls. Praise God for that. In fact, we thank the Lord for those men and women who are interceding for us in that way. We want to see more of that. I want to call you. Prayer is a gift we can all participate in. Some people are gifted with prayer, but we're all called to pray. So if you want to see walls come down, let's pray. If you want to see this church go from strength to strength, let's pray. Of course, the other weapon that Paul has in view in 2 Corinthians 10 which really sits alongside prayer, 
uh, is the ministry of the Word. Uh, Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the armor of God that we are to put on as we go to battle. There's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Um, These are all the defensive armor that you should be putting on as a Christian. You go to your work this week to put on that defensive armor in preparation for the various arrows that might come your way. But there is one weapon that you're given, an offensive tool to advance God's kingdom and bring down those strongholds. And what is it? Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the what? Sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. Amazing. God has given you a sword. You see, the Bible isn't merely a historical record, though, of course, it provides us an account of history. Uh, The Bible isn't merely a religious text, though there's references to temples and sacrifices and rituals. The Bible isn't merely a personal guide, though it is full of wisdom to help you navigate the decisions you have in life. The Bible is a sword which God has given you to advance his kingdom, to fend off the evil one, to strike a dagger into the heart of darkness. This is the weapon. The Word of God is the weapon that you need to use to deal with the lies of the accuser. It's a sword to to cut through deception and bring forth truth. Uh, Here at City on a Hill, we are not embarrassed uh, about the Bible. We're not ashamed of the Bible and what God says to us because we are convinced it's God's word. God's word is good. It is useful. It is powerful. It is complete. It is a mighty weapon God has given us to storm the gates of hell. This is why it is so infuriating to me and no doubt many others when you see churches and you see Christians um, push the Bible to the side of their ministry and mission sugarcoat the word or, 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 or use worldly tactics in replace of the word. Um, this hit me in full force many, many years ago. I was having a uh, coffee uh, with a, a leader uh, of a large church in Australia and we met for the first time and having coffee and um, he, he, he asks me, uh, why do you think City on a Hill had grown? Right? The average church in Australia is probably like less than 70 people and we'd, we'd grown and you know, still enjoy seeing lots of people coming and things like that. And he was asking me why we had grown and I didn't really know how to answer that question um, other than just to say, well, we're seeking to preach the Bible, um, proclaim the gospel, but at the end of the day, God, it's Jesus' church. He's the one who guides and grows and it's ultimately up to him. And, and he was like a little bit, um, uh, how do I say, perplexed by my answer uh, didn't seem to like it too much. And so I sort of kind of followed back with him and said, well, you, you know, you're leading one of the largest, you know, your largest churches in Australia. Why, why do you think it, it's growing? And, and without skipping a beat, I never forget, he says, well, it all comes down to sales and marketing. And I thought he was joking. And I was with another, another one of the leaders of the city on a hill, and nope, he wasn't. He was dead serious. At the end of the day, for him, church, ministry, mission, all comes down to sales and marketing. Um, now, 
I'm all for the use of media and design, um, all those things, but uh, if sales and marketing is your driving force when it comes to ministry success, if that kind of pragmatism is the bottom line, if that's what we're looking to when it comes to bringing down spiritual strongholds, uh, you're not only robbing people of life-changing truth, you are mocking the glory and power of God. So let's be really clear. Here at City on a Hill, we are seeking to build a movement of passionate prayer and bold teaching and preaching. We're not a perfect church. You know that. We only have three lights, right? But what I'd love us to be and what I think God is at work in us is, and what we ought to be and should continue to pursue to be is a church of bold teaching and preaching and God-centered wordness and passionate prayer. Hand in hand, step after step to not deviate, to not be distracted, to not be drawn into worldly gimmicks or trends or but to trust God's word. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. It's the power of God. The power of God. This is, this is why what we're actually doing right now is actually really important. Um, we're here not to entertain you, but to equip you. We, we're not here to just consume some religious goods. We're committed. And what we're doing here is an opportunity to open God's word and, and let it set the direction of our life and the direction of this church and to help us navigate the war that we are in. If you're just dipping in and out of church, if you treat church casually, there's a very big danger in your life that you walk around with a blunt sword. God's given you the word, but your Bible's on the shelf. You never look at it. You're not reading it. You're not engaging it in any thoughtful way. Maybe you use it occasionally. There's a very big danger that you have a blunt sword, and that is just not going to equip you for the realities of this life that we are in. We're Bible people. We gather on Sundays. We prioritize that. That's where tooling up. We gather midweek gospel communities because that's what? What's happening there? Iron sharpening iron. What did you think about this? Did you notice this in the text? We didn't only I want to unpack a bit more about that text. This has really challenged me in this way. What about you? I think we need to, right? Iron sharpening iron over coffee doing that with people, gospel communities. We've got a cohort of 50 some people doing the discipleship program, Greenhouse at the moment. Uh, kids, right now, like, we're not babysitting, right? Rhoda hasn't stepped on in, and praise the Lord for Rhoda, she hasn't stepped in for babysitting. There's some iron sharpening iron going right now with young kids who face a world of spiritual challenge. An army of people who are wanting to get into their head. And we have the sword. It's why you're serving, you're giving. It all matters. Of course, it matters not only for this mission we're on, because it matters for us as well, right? 
Because you'll know, won't you, that you, know, you become a Christian. And, and the promise of the gospel is that we're born again, we're made alive, we're a new creation, and yet the process of sanctification, right? Justification, instant, permanent, sanctification transformed into the renewing likeness of Christ. We're, that takes time, and that involves a tearing down of the internal strongholds that we have in our life. Right, let's just be honest. We can be Christians and still have areas of our heart, our mind, or maybe our relationships or our careers that are blocked off. Right? Like the walls of Jericho, we're saying, keep out. It could be a bad temper that just constantly flares up. It could be an addiction to, to porn, which under the right circumstances, under the right amount of pressure, that's where you go. You don't go to God, you go there. It could be an unhealthy relationship, one where you, you know you're not being treated honorably, rightly. You're not treating them honorably, rightly. Maybe you're pushing boundaries. Maybe, right, there's insecurity. Maybe it's self-condemnation. Maybe you get up and you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I just don't look as good as everybody else. And you just, and there's guilt over what you eat and you're not working out. Like you have these, and it's just this wall that's kind of holding you back. What do we use to deal with these things? Again, not worldly tactics, but the spiritual weaponry that God has given you. We take the sword. We pray. I love this, I love this uh, verse, verse 5. It's, it's, again, it's very strong language, and the Bible isn't always this kind of strong like this. But when it is, we should, we should take note. Verse 5, take every thought captive. To obey Christ. Right? That's military language. Take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Right? Idolatry, sin, bad habits, destructive thoughts, an unhealthy relationship. Right? Take it captive and make it obey Christ. Right? The only image that I can think of at this point is... My, I've, I've got four kids, as you know. My eldest son's 13, 14 next week. Uh, he loves, like, some kids, they love to paint. Other kids love Lego. Uh, my kids' love language is wrestling, right? And uh, he loves to wrestle. Like, I'll be just, like, any opportunity to wrestle or get me in an armbar, and he is, like, he loves it. In fact, we just signed him up to, um, there's a local uh, MMA, mixed martial arts gym. Right, which was a really bad decision for me. Because I'll be sitting on the couch, watching the footy, trying to relax. Next thing I know is I'm in a rear naked head choke like this from my 14-year-old son who's saying, do you want to tap? Do you want to tap? <laughs> and what's my choice at that point? Um, tap, which basically means I submit, you win, or blackout and die. I don't know the answer. <laughs> They're both bad. Uh, here's the point. Paul is saying you have to take the destructive strongholds in your life and you, you don't dance with them. You don't manage strongholds. You don't even negotiate with them. No, you put them in a rear naked choke and tap them out. That's the language. You take them captive. You make them submit to the Lordship of Christ. I mean, just do an itinerary of your life right now. Is my career under the Lordship of Christ? 
Have I surrendered it completely to Him? My relationships, you're a parent and with your kids, maybe you're married, maybe you're dating, maybe you've got friends. Like, when I look at all those relationships, am I, am I submitting them to the Lordship of Christ? Have I taken my resources? I think it was John Wesley who said the last thing to be converted in a man's life is his wallet. That's true. Experienced it in my own life. Happy to surrender this, happy to give God my ambition, happy to give God this, but when it came to my money, I think I'll put a fortress over that because unlock that away. I've come to realize that when you take these things, submit them to the Lordship of Christ, He can be trusted because He is good. Third and final point, uh, we want to be a boastful church. Uh, this needs a little bit of explanation. Paul says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. And then note these words, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. What does it mean to boast? Well, Consider this highlight reel from a noteworthy leader of our generation. Uh, Feel free to name who it is when I read out these quotes. See if you can guess. Nobody is stronger than me. Anyone? Nobody is bigger or better at the military than I am. Anyone? Trump. Trump, correct. Nobody loves the Bible more than I do. Nobody builds better walls than I do. Nobody has better toys than I do. This one's good. There is nobody who has done more for equality than I have. Nobody has had crowds like Trump has had. Nobody knows the game better than I do. The sale of uranium that nobody knows what it means. I know what it means. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Of course, um, uh, (laughs) few are as extreme as uh, Donald Trump. Uh, But aren't we all tempted to validate uh, our existence and to prove our worth based on what we do and who we know. Everyone has a little bit of Trump in them. Uh, Think about it. Um, Anyone here been to a school reunion? Right? I mean, school reunions, let's be honest, are just a center stage for the humble brag. Right? You're just so, you get there, you're just so eager to kind of demonstrate that you've done something. You are somebody. If you're in your 20s, the conversation is flexing about, I don't know, who you're dating and who you know and who knows what. And like that's, it's all about the people. Probably if you're in your 30s and you go to your school reunion, now it becomes more about accomplishment. Graduated from this university, went to this uh, company. Everyone knows that they hate their job, but all of a sudden their, their work is amazing. They're changing the world. Uh, when you get to your, if you go in your 40s, um, look, we're way beyond the bragging stage. Um, that was a joke. Uh, it's not so much about the relationships or the study or the career. What are we going to brag about most? Our kids, right? That's what we love to do, brag about our kids and help, us, help you look at us and think that we are impressive. Uh, I haven't even mentioned Facebook Instagram and TikTok, which is just mecca for look at me, right? The social media is, is where we 
present this filtered, curated uh, projection of our best sides, our best selves. Uh, Think about it. When have you ever seen someone post a picture of a burnt piece of toast? Right? Never. We're always showing our best food, our best clothes, our best friends, our best sides. There was actually a um, study from Harvard University that looked at um, you know, why we post online and, and, and noticed that when we post and you get a few likes, um, the area of our brain that is activated is the same area that is activated during sex. Did you know that? I, I don't know what that says for people who post multiple times a day, but... The point is we find it satisfying. Now, there's a fine line here, isn't there? Because uh, it's only helpful and normal to share your life with other people. Right? So the message here is not don't tell anyone about what you're doing in your life. Um, we have to share who we are with other people. And you, know, you get that promotion, you get engaged. Like They're all normal things. Uh, but there's a fine line, isn't there, between sharing your life and, and self-promotion. And, and boasting and trying to constantly draw attention to yourself, right? And, and, and of course, this is not just, you know, that this is not just a thing that people in the world struggle with, right? Christians, like, am I the only one that we struggle with this? It just happens in different ways, doesn't it? Like, take clothes, for example. If you're in the world um, and you buy an expensive piece of clothing, people will tell you about it. Have you seen my watch? It's worth $50,000. It's gold-plated, and I don't know if it tells the time, but it's amazing. $50,000 watch. Aren't I impressive, right? Now, Christians don't do that. We just flip it. Hey, did you see this watch I bought? It only cost me five bucks, right? Aren't I, imp- aren't I a good steward, right? In fact, it runs on solar, so I'm saving the planet at the same time. With the money I saved, I'm sponsoring a dolphin or something like that, right? Right? <laughs> Right? It's different, but it's still saying what? I'm impressive. Same with social media. You're not going to find a Christian posting a picture of them plastered drunk at a club, right? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> hope not. Instead, what are you going to see? You're going to see this. I think that's what you're going to see. Now, Jesus actually warns us about stuff like this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others or to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Right Now, Jesus is not saying you shouldn't practice righteousness. He's not saying you shouldn't have a quiet time. He's just saying be careful about doing that to be seen by others. Paul says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Um, We boast in the Lord, right? That the goal of our faith and our journey and our relationships is to to point people to Him, to celebrate Him. Again, there there is room for us to acknowledge what we're studying and how we're working and all, all of those things. But the heart of our life, the passion and purpose that gets us up in the morning is a desire to make much of God. Because God, in His kindness and in His generosity, in His mercy, has come to redeem. In Jesus, uh, God is the one who gave up the fame of heaven to enter the ridicule and condemnation of earth. In Jesus, we see the one who gave up 
the wealth and prosperity of heaven to embrace poverty for us. And while we ran from God and disobeyed God and ignored God, Christ died for us while we were in sin. He was taken to the very belly of death on our behalf and and raised to new life. Every person who is here today who is in Christ is not here because they were more impressive than the next person. I'm not here because I was more spiritual or more intelligent or more worthy. We've been elected before the foundation of this world because of God's goodness and his grace. What does that mean? It means that he gets the glory. He gets the glory for your salvation. He gets the glory for the good things that are happening in your life, the endurance that you experience during struggle. He gets the glory for every good gift. And you exist for that. As the band comes up, I want to share this beautiful quote um, we read a couple of weeks back. Uh, it was shared with our staff a few weeks back. Uh, we had a, you know, a conference recently, and uh, it was a really great, great time um, together. Just amazing to think that we could come together in this progressive, secular city, nine almost churches coming together, and beautiful just to see, I think it was almost 900 people, just over 900 people came along, and a uh, great time of community and breakout sessions, and see there, you know, passionate praise together and um, even our many rooms van which is kind of seeking to provide support to the homeless was filled up I don't know twice over uh, just through acts of generosity and um, yeah and so people sent through just words of encouragement I want to share this one uh, with you from Deanne who attends our church in Whittington she says years ago I got radically set free of heroin addiction I fell away after a few years but my life was never the same I gave my life back to God but I never felt good enough I always felt like I had to work for his love and could never live up to his expectation. I can feel God has been breaking down this lie, but something has dramatically shifted after listening to Matt Chandler share that not only my past, but my future sins have all been forgiven. The burden of works has been lifted off me. I'm just so much more in love with Jesus that I want to tell the world about him. This is the God we worship. This is the God we are called to boast in. A God who sets people free from addiction. A God who brings down those strongholds. A God who breaks down those walls. A God who sets us apart to tell the world, not about us, but about Him. To glory in Him. To celebrate and worship Him. So let's stand. We have an opportunity right now um, to lift up his name. And and we sing not just because we like to sing. This is a moment for us to boast in God. So I encourage you to lift your voice loudly. To encourage your brothers and sisters around you. And to set your heart before the God who loves you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.